I'm going to be reading today. I'm going to invite you to join me in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. We are now in the second part of this new series called Tough Love. Tough Love. Someone say, Tough Love. That's right. Tough Love. I'm going to start reading here and then we're going to skip over to uh, the book of uh, 1 John chapter 4. But first, I want to read this 2 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Someone say amen for that. But a power and of love and of a sound mind. There are three things that God has given us and fear isn't one of them. We're going to focus in today on the love portion. But now I want to read 1 John chapter 4 verse 17. Amen. A familiar passage of scripture it says John writes love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love someone say perfect love perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to speak today on this simple thought, love over fear. Love over fear. Someone say, in Jesus' name. You may be seated in the presence of God. I'm going to begin today by asking you a probing question. Question, and I hope it's not too sensitive, but um, I'd like us to do this little exercise. When was the first time you ever felt fear? Do you remember the first time you ever felt afraid? I know this question may conjure up different uh, feelings and emotions, and I don't want to be insensitive to where the question may lead but I think it's an important question. I was recently, recently pondering on that very question. When was the first time that I ever felt fear? And my mind took me back to something rather innocent, but very fearful, to a time in my childhood when my mom would take us kids shopping with her. And I would be playing like a kid usually does, hiding around and uh, messing around and probably doing things I shouldn't be doing. And before I knew it, I would lose sight of her. And as, as things would happen, uh, I would have to go to the front of the store because I wouldn't be able to find her. And they would have to announce over the loudspeakers whether it was the mall or Kmart. Y'all remember Kmart? Attention Kmart shoppers. Huh? Uh, there is a little boy here at the front of the store, and he doesn't know where his, so if this child is yours, please come up and get him, you know, and, and so I was afraid for two reasons, uh, number one, being separated from my mom, and, and number two, how she would react to being separated. Now, the first thing my mom would do when she would see me, uh, there I am, you know, all you know, tears and mocos coming down my throat, and I'm all sad. And there's, you know, because when you're a kid, you think your world is over, right? When you lose sight of your parents, and and the first thing she would do was hug me, 
She would hug me and, and, and wipe the tears from my eyes and give me everything is going to be all right. Mijo, I'm right here. And then every, I think everything is good. And then about, the, about five minutes later, she would look at me and, she, and, and then her tone would change. Don't you ever <laughs> go where I can't see you. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened here? You were consoling me and now you're scolding me. Do I got a witness in the house, huh? How did this get turned on me? No, you're the parent. I'm the child. And, and, and so there was always this mixture of, of love and fear all at the same time. All at the same time. And I think most kids, most kids can uh, relate to that feeling of sort of a mixture of love and fear when you get separated and then reunited with your parents. And I've discovered this, church and friend, I've discovered that even as we grow older and become mature adults, the battle between love and fear still exists. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, I think, as we apply it to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. As we apply it to that, love and fear seems to be the focus of John's first letter that he writes as he describes how these two entities in our life uh, will collide at some point and we can only be driven by one or the other. It's commonly taught and accepted, I think, uh, among Christians that faith is the opposite of fear or that faith is the antidote to fear. But I want to ask you, is that really what the Bible teaches? Yes and no. Yes and no. You see, indeed, you cannot live by faith and by fear at the same time because eventually one attitude will dominate the other depending on which you feed. You can't live, you can't have the best of both. Not that there is a best of fear, but you can't have it both ways. Eventually, one will supersede the other. However, the faith versus fear conversation often overlooks the substance of faith and how it is rooted in a personal revelation of God's character, of his benevolence and his overall disposition towards us. In other words, how God feels about you. I think it's important for every Christian to understand what God thinks about you how he feels about you, what his attitude towards you is. And when you get a personal revelation of God's overall attitude towards your life, I believe that that in itself will unlock a lot of the misconceptions that we have or dissolve the misconceptions we have in our relationship or in our Christian walk. If, as Hebrew 11.1 1 tells us, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, then the next question would be, what then is the substance of faith? If faith is the substance of things hoped for, then what is the substance of faith? What perfects our faith? What positions us to stand before God, sure-footed, with confidence, knowing who we are, knowing that, that we are one of his. What gives us that sense and helps us to overcome the daily barrage of fears and uh, contradictory thoughts and, and opinions that contradict what God says about us? John, I believe, answers these questions 
in his little letter by bringing us back to the heartbeat of the Christian faith, which is the love of God. Someone say amen today. Many consider the book of 1 John to be God's love book. And when you understand that it was written by the Apostle John who wrote the gospel according to John, which in of itself is very different from the other three gospels in the way that it is written. If you study the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that John's gospel takes an entirely different approach than the other three. The other three are more, cons are, are more chronologically based. And not that John's gospel isn't, but John's gospel is written more from a personal reflection. It's written more uh, as, the, as someone who had a connection with God that was so rich and so pure. In fact, as he writes his gospel, he often doesn't refer to himself in his own name, but he calls himself the beloved disciple or the one whom Jesus loved. Think about that. John writes his gospel, uh, his story of Christ, and he, when he calls himself or when he mentions himself, he mentions the, Lord, the, the one whom the Lord loves or the beloved one. And this is interesting language that John uh, used. And I think that this terminology says something about the way that he uh, viewed his relationship with God. He saw his relationship more than just being a soldier in an army, more than just being an employee in some spiritual company. But he saw himself as a child of God. He saw himself as, a, as an heir of God. He saw himself as someone who so comfortably was able to lean. He was the only one who leaned on the bosom of Jesus. At the la that takes a lot of confidence to do that. If any one of you men try to lean on my bosom when I'm eating, you're going to, you know, see another side of me. Amen. <laughs> but he did so... And there was no rejection of Christ because there was this intimacy and, and, this, and this appearance of intimacy. It's one of like a father and a son. He, he, he was the only one who, who, who lingered at the cross, if you remember. It was just uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, a few uh, women of God, and John was the only disciple. After all of them had scattered and departed, he stood there and lingered at the foot of the cross. And Jesus gave John the weighty task of caring for his mother after his departure. He was the one whom, when after Jesus resurrected from the grave, it was Peter and John who ran to see the empty tomb. And the Bible says that John outran Peter and got there first. There was just something about John's connection with Jesus, something that was so affectionate and pure. And if you, and this is another message for another time, but if Peter is a picture of faith, because Peter was the one who stepped out on the water, and John was the one who leaned. On G and, and so John has to be a picture of love. If Peter is a picture of faith and, and John is a picture of love, when we see them running to the tomb, you see that love will always outrun faith. Love will always outrun faith. If you ever truly get a hold of the love of God, it will not only outrun faith, it will feed your faith. And so this is the man who writes these little letters, who writes the First uh, John, and he writes it with passion in his heart, uh, and he writes it with, with concern over the heart of the Christian. And in verses 17 through 19, I believe we can, we can summarize it this way. We can sum up his words in this way. 
And then I would put it this way, that, that perfect love is the strongest antidote to fear. Perfect love. If there's anything we will take away from today's message and from John's a little writing here, is that perfect love is the strongest answer or antidote to fear. And so there are two ways I want us to look at this today. The first is this, that perfect love produces confidence. Someone say confidence. Perfect love produces confidence. John writes this way. He says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness. Boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. This verse describes how, how God's love ought to produce an unflinching boldness in our life. How when God's love consumes us, it ought to generate a confidence. I'm not talking about self-confidence. I'm talking about divine confidence. I'm talking about a, an assurance, a confidence that you gain out of experiencing and knowing the love of God on the most intimate level. And when you get to that point in your life where, where you, have, you have fully experienced, fully acknowledged and accepted the love of Christ in your life, it gives you this kind of boldness, as John points out, that you can stand in the day of judgment. It gives you a boldness to, to not only stand in ju before judgment, but also as he is, so are we in this world. Here, John is talking about two points in time. The day of judgment speaks of a future time. And then he says, as we are in this world, speaking of a present time. In other words, uh, if you get God's love into your heart, uh, God will fill you with a confidence uh, to face the challenges that you face today and those that you will face in the future. When you have the love of God moving and rooted in your life, uh, you can face the obstacles uh, and the daily trials and testings uh, that are in the world right now and also it gives you the confidence to know that one day when you stand before Jesus at his judgment seat, that it is his love that constrains you. It is his love that holds you. It is his love that gives you the peace and the assurance that you belong to him. Somebody give God some praise today. The greatest revelation that you could ever receive is how much loved and how accepted you are of God. When Jesus was baptized, the Bible says this in Matthew 3 and verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Even Jesus, before embarking on his public ministry, even Jesus, before stepping into the greatest uh, uh, season of his life, his mission on earth, needed to hear those profound words uh, from the heaven. This is my beloved son, and I am well pleased in him. And if Jesus needed an awareness of God 
God's love in his life before he dared step into his purpose uh, that he came into this world. Each and every one of us sitting here today must also come to a revelation that we are beloved of God and we are his children. Amen. And he is pleased with us. You've got to understand that when God, that when Jesus heard these words, he had not casted out one devil yet. He hadn't preached one sermon yet. He hadn't delivered one person yet. He hadn't done anything yet. And so what we've got to understand is that God doesn't love you based on what you do for him. He loves you based on who you are in him. Woo! my God. God loves you just as you are. Somebody ought to give him some praise for that. He loves you just as you are. Why do I need to know this? Why is it important so that you will get over whatever fear has been tormenting you so that you will understand that you will not gain any more or any less of his love. God loves you today the way that he loved you yesterday and he's going to love you the same tomorrow. Somebody ought to give him some glory in this house. The love of Jesus does not change. He is to say yes, yeah, yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody say amen. His love is the same. Do you know there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less? Ooh, this is liberating, folks. This is liberating when we understand that God's love is unconditional. And God loves us just the same, and we can be secure in that love. But watch how the enemy works. The tempter came after Jesus hearing these words from heaven. He goes into the wilderness for a time of testing because every time you hear a word like this, there's going to be some testing after that. Because what the enemy wants to do, he, he wants to test your revelation. He wants to test the word that God gave you. And so he goes into the wilderness, and in Matthew 4, 3, the tempter said this, If you are the Son of God, I'm going to test the word that you just got. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. The enemy is not after your things. He's after your sonship. He's after your relationship with God. He's after the security that you have, belonging and beloved by God. He wants you to put into question the word that God gave you about his love for you. He wants you to doubt what God is telling you about how he loves and accepts you. So he says, if you are a child of God, because he wants to weaken the security that you have in God's love. And he tells them, if you are this person, then why don't you go ahead and turn these stones into bread? Which is the equivalent, brother, of taking matters into your own hands. Who can I speak like I want to today? How many of you would agree with me that Jesus had the power to turn those stones into bread? Amen? No, this was not a question of can he. Because we know that he can. This is a question of timing. And there are some things that we are trying to appropriate to our lives now that God said is not ready for until then. It's not a question of can I bless you. Oh, my God, I feel an anointing. It's not a question of do I love you. It's not a question of will I make a way. It's a matter of can you wait on me long enough. 
Can you trust me long enough? Are you going to doubt my love and my purpose? Or are you going to believe that there is coming a day when I will turn the stones into bread and you won't have to lift a finger? Oh, my God. Jesus could have done it. Just like we can try to take matters into our own hands. Can I ask you a question today? And you think, what has it got to do with love? It's got everything to do with it. Just hang out with me. What area of your life are you trying to turn stones into bread? What area of your life are you trying to assume control? Are you trying to be in the driver's seat or to play God? This is essentially what the devil was trying to do. Trying to get him because when we start, hear me out, when we start questioning or second-guessing the love of God is when we start moving in fear. And when we start saying, well, God must not be willing to bless me, or God must not care about me the way he cares about them, or God must be disinterested in my life, so I've got to go ahead and try to turn these stones into bread. We are questioning at that point the love that God has for us. But if you ever got a revelation of how much God loves you, then you would say, wait, God knows what's best for me. He knows what I need, when I need, and how I need it. And so I simply need to trust and be secure and confident in the love of God. Somebody say amen today. Your knowledge of God's love will enable you to stand firm in the face of testing. It will enable you to say like Jesus said in response. He didn't, he didn't argue with the devil. He didn't try to arm wrestle the devil and get into some kind of a theological debate with him. He just said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Can I just encourage somebody today? Don't be controlled by your circumstances. Don't be controlled by your fears. Don't be controlled by, you left the word of God. And you left every word that is spoken from the mouth of God is how you ought to live your life. I'm not walking in my way. I'm walking in his word. Is there somebody here today that wants to cling to every morsel and every, my God, everything that God has for you? I'm living by the word Jesus said. Every word that proceeds out of God's mouth, that's what I'm building my life on. That's what I'm trusting in. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in what I can do for me because self-trust is a manifestation of of someone who has not fully grasped God's love for them. When you start trusting more in yourself. You know, here's the thing. My children, my children wake up every morning. Well, I'm looking right at my son right now. Sorry. sorry. But they wake up every morning without a worry in life. Without a worry in life. They don't stress. They do not stress about what they're going to eat that day. Hmm? They do not stress about whether there's going to be a roof over their head. They do not stress about whether there's going to be food on the table or about any of the cares in life. Why do they not stress about that? I'll tell you why. Because they are secure enough in the love that their mother and their father have for them, which enables them to walk through their day with confidence, knowing that we are able to provide all the things that he needs. So what, mm, so what he does is simply puts his backpack on and goes up 
about what he needs to do and let mom and dad figure out the, the heavy lifting and making sure these things are taken care of because ultimately we just want him to succeed. If we can understand that about our children, surely we can understand that about God. And I believe that there may be somebody here today that has been holding on to some things and you're, mm, my God, and you've been carrying some burdens and some things in your life that you just need to cast your cares upon the Lord for he cared for you. And if we can understand that about our lives and our homes, dear friend, it's the same with God. The love that God provides us is the assurance that everything is going to be all right. Clap your hands and give God some praise today. So be bold. Someone say be bold. Somebody say be brave. Someone say be strong. Somebody say be courageous. When you step out of your home every day, whether it is you're a homemaker or you're out there doing something in the business world or going to school, every day that you wake up, you ought to wake up with the confidence. You ought to wake up with the security in knowing that I am a beloved child of God and the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Come on, where's my help today? You got to know that everywhere you go is blessed. Yeah. Everywhere I step my foot, it is blessed. Every place that I tread my foot upon is blessed. Do I got a witness in the house of God today? Not because of me, but because I am loved. I am loved by God. I am loved, and he loves me with an everlasting love. And do you understand that God's love encompasses everything about your life? God considered everything. Perfect love not only manifests in boldness, but hear me, my second point today, and I've only got two points if you're counting, amen, is that perfect love cast out fear. It cancels fear. Someone say canceled. Huh. You know, God's got his own cancel culture. You know what cancel culture is, huh? God's got his own cancel. You know what he cancels? He cancels out fear. He cancels out stuff in our life that contradicts his purpose for our lives. He cancels out things that we are carrying and believing and thinking. He cancels out attitudes and, and dispositions and theories and things that, 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 that run contrary to him. And fear is one of those. According to verse 18, love and fear cannot coexist. John clearly states this. There is no fear. Someone say no fear. No fear. I didn't say a little bit and say some. There is no fear. But perfect love casts out fear. Why? Why is this? Love drives out fear. Why? Because God is love and there is no fear in God. There is no fear. And so if you are born of God, if you are born again of the water and of the spirit and you indeed are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, if you indeed are sitting who, in heavenly places, if you indeed are the head and not the tail, if you indeed are, are, are a part of the seed of Abraham, if you are indeed a son or a daughter of the king, if you are what we say we are, then we ought to know that our lives don't have to be controlled by fear, but the love of God will drive and push us into our destiny and push us into greater things. Ooh, it's a, you know that love is the greatest motivator for every gift of God. 
can I, can I preach like I want to today? Not fear, love. So I know that there's a good amount of godly fear. We're not talking about the fear of the Lord today. We're talking about ungodly fear. And there is a certain amount of godly fear. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not talking about being scared of God. It's talking about doing it reverently and seriously. But there ought to be no fear in the child of God. And I believe that love is the greatest motivator to get anybody to do anything. Love. Someone say love. We will grow more into the things of God when we fall more in love with him. And the hardest thing to do is to convince somebody to give up something for someone they're not in love with. Ooh, I'm going to say that again. <laughs> the hardest thing is to get somebody to give up something in their life for something or someone they're not in love with. But when you really fall in love with someone, when you really fall in love, can I tell you, it gets easier and easier to do things that please the one you love. And my God, you know, you want, can I just give somebody the secret to growing in holiness? You say, this is just too rigid and it's too hard to be apostolic. No, it's not. It's only hard because you're, you haven't allowed your heart to get fully engulfed in the love of God. Because when you get, mm, I know some of you are like, mm, but let me tell you, when you allow the love of God to truly get a hold of you, you don't just do things because you have to. You do it because you want to. You don't just say to yourself, what's the least I have to do to get to heaven? You say, what's the most I can do? Why? Not because it's a salvation. No, no, no. Stop with that conversation. But because it pleases the heart of God. And I love him. And that's why I'm willing to surrender to God. Come on, somebody give God a hand praise today. Hallelujah. Love. Love is the greatest motivator. And if we can get our young people and our church and our new converts and people to understand that it's love. If you ever fall in love with him, if you ever love and receive that love, you will see how this thing that we are preaching today, how living for God can be the greatest thing that you ever do when you understand it in the context of love. Every thought, every emotion, every action that we make, every decision is either the offspring of fear or love. It mostly happens on a subconscious level. We don't even realize that we're doing it. But you can trace it back. You can trace it back to either, either love or fear as a motivator. It's either love or fear that motivates every thought, every emotion, every decision that, that we make. It's one or the other. Let me paint it for, for you this way. The usual result of fear is acting selfishly or short-sightedly. It causes us to act impulsively. Just like the enemy was trying to tempt Jesus with the stone and the bread. It causes us to act, uh, uh, um, to walk by sight and to depend on our instincts. Next slide, please. To depend on our instinct. It causes us to see uh, ourselves in a different kind of way. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Thank you. The result of this is acting selfishly or short-sighted. This is the usual result of fear. 
is that we, we start to panic. And the Bible tells us what some, uh, of the thing, some of the fruits of fear are. We read about it. Go into Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 where Paul speaks of the works of the flesh. These are all fruits of fear. Uncleanliness and, and selfishness and uh, uh, envy and outbursts of wrath and many other things. Drunkenness and murders and all these things are really are the fruits of fear and the, and the outworks of flesh. But the usual result of love is acting patiently and discerningly. It is the opposite. Fear causes us to, to become selfish. We start to take on the survival instinct, the self-preservation, and, and, and we get short-sighted. We, we, we don't see the big picture. But, but when we start moving in love, we start acting patiently and discerningly and wise, wisely. Why? Because the fruit of love is also listed in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of love is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Somebody say amen. It's, it's joy and it's peace and it's kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the, the fruits of love. So you gotta, you got to look at your life today. you got to look at and the direction that, that you are going in your spirit, amen, in your, in your ministry, in your family, in your, in your marriage, and say, are we moving in fear or are we moving in love? What is compelling us? What is motivating us? What is driving us to this? But simply knowing, I'll, I'll be done in just a moment. Listen, simply knowing the fruits of love is not enough. Simply knowing... The f or a fear is not enough. The, the, I, I, the other day I, I asked the, the Holy Ghost, I said, Lord, help me see what is the core of fear. Why? God, I need to know. I have got to know why do we fear? Why do we get afraid? And, and why do certain fears always seem to come back? Huh? Why do we continue to feel it, to live it, to suffer from it? Why does it keep returning and uh, returning and rearing its ugly head in our life again? Why, God? What is the core? God, show me, take me to the root of fear. We got to get to the root of this thing so that we can cut it up again. Snip it. What is the root, God? I asked the Lord, and I'm not trying to claim any special revelation today, but I just... I just believe that through a simple reading of scripture, to get to the root of our most common fear, all we got to do is look at the first mention of fear in the Bible. It's called the law of first mention. Every time something is mentioned for the first time, it gives us a precedence. It gives us a, a, a picture of what it's going to be. And the first mention of fear may surprise you. It happens in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. After Adam sinned in the garden... After the man fell and disobeyed God, he said, so he said, this is the words of Adam, so I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I read this verse very closely, church, and I noticed something. That the first mention of fear had nothing to do with how man perceived his enemy or his circumstances. We always associate 
our deepest fears uh, with the boogeyman, you know, with the devil or with, the de with demons or with evil stuff. And certainly that can cause fear. But at its core, the root cause of fear is not how we perceive the devil. It's not how we perceive our problems or even ourselves. It's how we perceive God. His mercy and his goodness and his love. And here's what I've discovered right here. That the core of fear is mistrust in God's character. When you deduce it all down, when you break it all down, why do I get afraid? It's not because of the enemy. It's not because of your circumstances. It's a mistrust. Trust of God's character. Listen, I'm almost done here. Listen, it's misperceiving his temperament and disposition towards you as his child. It's failing to understand that God is still in control. It's failing to see that nothing you do or don't do or nothing you go through surprises God. Can I tell you that the trial or the difficulty or the hardship that you're going through right now did not surprise God. It may have surprised you, but God is not surprised. When you fail, do you know that when you fail, God is not surprised? <laughs> He's not surprised. He knew you would fail. He knew you would fall short. He knew. Why? Because God knows all things. But yet he loved you. But yet he loved you. Oh, God considered everything about your life. Every misstep. Every heartbreak. Every failure. Every setback. Every trial and tribulation, God took everything. Why? Because he stands at the end. He is alpha and omega. He's beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And God has seen the full tape of your life. And he still went to the cross for you. And he still loves you. Amen. Yes, he does. He knows everything about you, including down to the very number of hairs on your head. God knows it all, and yet he still loves you. And if we will ever just get comfortable in that and fully accept that God loves me no matter what, it will motivate us to serve him. It will push us to give more to him. God is in control. Somebody give him some praise today. Come on, if you're thankful for the love of God, if you're glad that he loves you, if you love him, come on and give him some praise today. God's love is perfect not because you're perfect, but because he's perfect. And John tells us the reason. Let me tell you why there's no fear in love. It's because fear involves torment. A better, a better rendering of this term would be that fear involves punishment. Maybe somebody today feels like God is punishing them. 
live it up to where you think you should be or that you will be punished. Hmm? Maybe somebody today is, is confused about God's thoughts towards you and his plans for you. And let me tell you something, that, that fear cannot coexist with love. Oil and water can't mix. Hmm. Cannot mix. It's either going to be one or the other that motivates you, that pushes you. Fear cannot coexist with love because love is patient. You know God is patient. Amen, somebody. I said God is patient. God is patient. How many of you are thankful that God is more patient than you are? Ooh, boy. You ought to thank God I ain't, I ain't your God. Huh? You better thank God your neighbor ain't your God. Your neighbor will give up on you. But you know God don't give up on you. He's, he, you know, God's more forgiving than us. Hmm. He's patient. He's not easily provoked. You know that God is slow to anger? You think you make one mistake on Monday. Oh, God, looking for lightning bolts to come and get you. God's not out to get you. What I'm about to say right now is going to set somebody free. Are you ready? Someone say, go ahead. God's not out to get you. God's out to save you. Hmm. Some of us have this in our mind that God's just waiting for us to mess up. We have this in our mind that God's just sitting there. He's just waiting for us to make a mistake. So we go, aha! See? And punish us. That's not the picture that the Bible gives us of God. That's not what John the Apostle is writing about. He says, no, because if that's how you're living, if that's how you're making decisions, if that's how you're moving through life and moving through your marriage and moving through your, your, your faith, if that's how you're doing things, you're going about it the, all, the, the wrong way. You're going about it all wrong. You've got it wrong. What you got to do is allow love to have its perfect work in your life. Allow the love of God. Would you stand with me this afternoon? Hallelujah. Love is perfected when you fully accept. Oh, my God. Love is perfected when you fully accept the goodness of God. When you accept, my brother, that God is for you and not against you. When you fully believe, sister, that God's got your best interests in mind. When you believe that God is for you and not against you, that he wants to bless you, that he's got something great in store for you, when you fully accept your sonship in him, there is no room for fear. There is no room for fear. I feel the Holy Ghost who I feel the spirit of God. The Bible says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
you did not receive a spirit of fear. You did not, you, you are, God didn't bring you into this so that you could be a slave to fear, but so that you could receive the spirit of a son, the spirit of a daughter, the spirit of one that can cry out whenever I'm in trouble. I don't have to be afraid of God. God's not out to get me. Whenever I'm going through a valley, I don't have to hide from him. I don't have to run from grace and run from love. Why? Because surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Oh, surely the Lord still loves you with an everlasting love. Surely God hasn't given up on you. Surely God still has a plan for you. Surely God still wants to bless you. I don't know if there's somebody here today that needed to be reminded, that needed to know, that needed this word, that love conquers fear. His goodness is greater than your past. His goodness is greater than your sin. Oh, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I've come to preach the love of God today. And if you want to receive the love of God today, I invite you right there where you are to open up your heart. I invite you right there where you are to receive that love into your heart. I invite somebody today to let God in. Let him into your heart today. Let him into your faith today.